and welcome to another extra special, extra wonderful finale episode of Normandy FM. As always, I am one of your co-hosts here alongside Kenneth Shepard. Ken, how are you doing today? Just just vibing, just trying to get through this Monday of Mondays. We are recording on a Monday, and it always feels a little bit different to record on a Monday because you can hear the bits of our soul that have already left <laughs> in the tenor of our voice. <laughs> Um, but that's okay because we have someone else here to liven the mood, to add a little bit more to our podcast. We have the one, the only Vicki Blake. How are you doing today? I'm okay, guys. How are you? Are you hanging in there? And it's my fault we're recording on Monday, by the way, because time zones and real life really gets in the way. It's real life happens. And the important thing is we roll with the punches and we just collectively decide as a community, as a whole, that, you know what, let's just call it done now. We're not going to do Tuesday through Friday. <laughs> Screw it, whatever. See you next Monday. Everybody gets like a six-day weekend. Let's go. <laughs> I'm down. That's it. You, that, I, I, was, I, was, I was involved before, but now I'm absolutely down for this. Yeah. Sold. <laughs> we are here, of course, today to talk about the finale to The Last of Us Part 1. Uh, we are here. This is the spring episode. Uh, this is probably the one that I imagine a lot of listeners have been eagerly anticipating because I think it's probably one of the most well-remembered parts of this game in general. Mm. Um, like, definitely when you think about The Last of Us in general, it's hard not to think about the ending. But before we get into that... Uh, Vicky, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself and uh, both what you kind of do and and what you do in the games industry and also uh, how you got accustomed, uh, acquainted with The Last of Us in the first place? Sure. Uh, so I'm a freelance writer, which, depending on your perspective, means I'm not good enough to get a staff <laughs> job uh, or I left oh. it too late to start writing to find a staff job Push and it is the latter I was really late I like I didn't write a word till I was in my mid-30s I didn't realize it was a job and mm -hmm. then um really randomly I'm big big Silent Hill fan so I have a Silent Hill website and a forum which I've run for 20 years it's really old um, <laughs> I'm kind of looking and feeling its age a bit like me really uh so yeah, so I, I run a Silent Hill site and uh, EA got in touch when they were launching Dead Space and said, hey, do you want to come out to San Francisco? We'll bring you out and you can come play this new horror game and we'd love to hear your views. And I was like, I'm sorry, is that a job? Wait, you'll fly me out to America where I'd never been and play a really cool horror game for free? And they were like, yeah, yeah, we can do that. So... I think it was from that moment when I realized um, that talking about games was a thing. I needed right. to make it my thing. Mm -hmm. That was a while ago, uh, if, if you haven't worked it out, by the times of Dead Space. So I think I've been doing this about, I think I'm in my 13th year. Unlucky for some, mm. you maybe, because I'm here. Um, <laughs> but I, I like to think um, I have a bit of a niche for horror, because mm. um, mm -hmm. I'm like the world's, like, well, I'm just, I'm terrified of everything all the time, constantly, <laughs> always scared. Can't play anything with spiders in it. Um, really struggle with dolls. Um, so Resident Evil 8 was fun. Uh, yeah, so, yeah. you got to be loving Village right now. <laughs> <laughs> just 
great. That whole sequence, like, yeah, I could barely sleep. So, yeah, horror's absolutely my thing. So I, I came by The Last of Us. Um, I think I reviewed it for Bloody Disgusting when it came out. So that was obviously a while ago now. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I remember starting it and... and it, bloody disgusting is kind of it, it was I got code on release day so it's not mm. like I had mm-hmm. advanced uh, time with it or anything and it was I try not to read reviews of anyone right. else's stuff before I've written mine because I don't want my thoughts to be tainted right. by someone else's right. but also because other people will write it better than I do and that just absolutely bums you out <laughs> before you even start so I was like <laughs> if I just don't read it I won't know that they're better than me so that I'll kind of do it like that so um I, I kind of avoided it, but I know that it was getting really, really good kind of response. Mm-hmm. Um, and a community kind of sprang up around it really, really quickly. So I think but I was about halfway through and I was a bit surprised why it was getting. I was like, well, it's all right. It's just a bit of a box, you know, it's mm-hmm. a cover zombie game. It, it, the combat's not brilliant. It looked amazing and it sounded amazing, but I couldn't really see what the fuss was about until I kind of, until you kind of hit that, you know, that second half or that final act mm-hmm. um, mm. and particularly the bit in the hospital. Right. And which we were obviously going to talk about. And that's when, yeah, it got absolutely, it blew my mind. And, and, mm. and I think it was again, because I've come from Silent Hill, I always thought Silent Hill 2 was a very cinematic game that cared mm. about what it was presented yeah. to you and was very good at concealing things from you as well. So there were similarities along that line, but I didn't really, um, I, I think it's the first game of that whole generation, um, which left me thoroughly overwhelmed and mm. sobbing, sobbing right. like a baby. <laughs> <laughs> it's, um, this is such a weird section. Cause like I've talked before on the podcast, how this is like the first time that I've played through this game. Personally, this has been, a series, a game that I've mostly absorbed through cultural osmosis, through being in games media, through just, you know, like writing all three of us here, write the news uh, on various sites. And so like, we, we know what it's like that you kind of have to understand a little bit about everything to just to be Mm. able to write Mm. about everything. And so that was like the extent that I knew of the last of us was like, Oh, I know it's a, it's a violent game made by naughty dog. And I know that the ending's really infamous and, and, you know, it's like a really, you know, tough moral quandary that it poses and yada, yada, yada. And I think seeing it and, and like playing it myself in action, all throughout this first game, I felt like it was just me going, oh, I finally, like, I get to experience firsthand what I only really understood from, like, what I'd seen on Wikipedia or what I'd see my friend play, my roommate in, in college and all that. You know, I, I was finally experiencing it for myself. And that's one way of, like, taking it in. And then last week we had the winter section, which, like, that was the first time. I think I'd ever really seen that stuff because it was all very fresh to me. It was all very new to me. I, I did not know a large amount of those story beats going in. It was like taken aback by mm. the places that that winter section goes. That, that so, whole section is so well done. And, it's incredible. And, and I think it, it gets overshadowed really by the end. So I right. think we talk about the hospital scene much more than we ever do talk about um, what happened in winter. Right. Obviously, you've already talked about it, so I'm not going to go there again. But yeah, yeah I, th- I think I think it got lost. It kind of got lost in the shuffle because we're so focused on how good it looks and how 
great it sounds and that and that ending right. so that whole segment has, has fallen away and unjustly really mm-hmm. mm. and but like spring can't happen without winter either like i feel like <laughs> right and so that's maybe how i want to start the discussion of this as we start out because we're in we're on a highway on our way walking into salt lake city um we're finally kind of there but it opens with ellie like spacing out staring at this carving of a deer that's on the highway and uh obviously that carries some symbolic resonance from winter the section we just came from um but throughout this whole opening section you're just kind of walking around with ellie and like it does some stuff that i think is extremely clever in terms of you know you have the ability to kind of you know, use the triangle prompt to try and start more conversation and stuff like that. But whereas previously it was a lot of, Oh, Ellie Mm -hmm. see something cool and you can hear her talk about it or not. And Joel is just kind of like grumpy, you know, grumpy old man, like (laughs) (laughs) instead it's like, you're trying to get her to talk. You're trying to get her to respond because she's being unresponsive. She's not really like talking at all. Um, after, which is not the Ellie we know. Right. Yeah. Um, and throughout this whole section up until the point where, uh, we're like, she's literally sitting down and Joel is just like, Ellie, Hey, let's go ladder. Come on. We got to move. Like Mm. it's, it's a way to come off of winter. How did you feel about it? Ken? Like, I'm just, I was sitting here just like kind of dumbstruck (laughs) throughout this whole section. I think it's, uh, it's, they, they kind of did something like similar in Pittsburgh where after she used Joel's gun to save him from one of the guys there and like, she kind of like hangs back, like mm-hmm. instead of like always being by your side. And I think they do a lot here, like by interrupting the flow of gameplay to communicate to you that something is off here. And like, clearly like, you know, what's off, but like maybe Joel as lovable as he is, maybe not as aware. So like, but it is like using the mechanics that we know and like, constant interruptions of it to kind of really communicate that Ellie's not all right. And like, she needs something to snap her out of this if we're going to keep going forward. And um, I think the way they do it is pretty, uh, also, also pretty like a, a famous scene that we're going to get to in a second. But um, I thought that was a, a very effective way of communicating it to the player, like as unsubtly as they can, that like something is wrong. And like, this is something that you as Joel are going to have to address at some point. Yeah, it's, it's it's wild and like you know couple that with the moment we have right afterwards where she kind of perks up and and becomes more active it it just creates this really like distinct contrast between the two but like you know vicky when you were playing this for the first time like how did you kind of feel coming into salt lake city from winter and like you know having to deal with with what had happened in winter and try to like elicit some response from ellie i mean i think that I feel that, that the start of that whole segment, the whole world is completely gone to shit, right? And, mm. and, and that's very clear all the way through. But it feels even more chaotic to me as they're kind of going across the streets, um, mm. kind of where the RV is. It, it feels like you're, it's end of days, right? <laughs> it's mm. that kind of mm-hmm. chaos. Um, and although there's so much greenery because there's all that, you know, very, um, kind of base you know nature's taken back etc mm. etc um then, nonetheless i think the 
what's left of, of civilization is is at, at that point the worst it's it's cars on top of other cars mm. people just bones lying in the street with their arms outstretched in, right. in a way that i i don't think you see quite as consistently as you do at earlier points of the game so i think it's um i, I mean i there's there's a lot about naughty dog they kind of get revered a lot and sometimes and as i said i, th I think the combat of, of the last of us is not necessarily actually anything to write home about but in terms of the, the way they tell the story by the world around you mm. without exposition without diary notes just what you can see with your eyes and hear with your ears is exemplary right. and i i don't think there's another developer out there at the moment that does that as ably mm -hmm. ably mm. <laughs> as uh, <laughs> as our friends at naughty dog do so right. yeah i think it's um it was it was I mean, the, the, the whole thing about Ellie was, was obviously super grim <laughs> mm. <laughs> and coming yeah. out of that. And, and I think I think Ellie's had such a horrific life anyway that all she's really ever known is loss and death and, and you know, growing up in the shadow of, of quarantine and, and, and what's happened. So the fact that, that, she, that it still had a, an impact, I think, shows how profound that was, right. how how... Life changed it was for her to kind of uh, to have escaped that, um, and I think it's. I mean, when Joel says you're extra quiet today, I mean it. Mm. It breaks your heart because it's saying that she's already quiet, and and the Ellie right. who's constantly, constantly asking questions and kind of mm. chittering away next to you throughout the entire game. At this point, Joel's saying you're extra quiet today. You're even right. quieter than you usually are, and I, mm. and I think that's such a, a beautiful line and just shows so succinctly in, in such you know because what what's it been it's been like three minutes since we've seen right. the end of week, winter and the start of spring and just that line you're extra quiet today does all the heavy lifting for us mm -hmm. and tells us how how difficult um and life-changing this has been for her right yeah and we get a sense too of like once we get later on in this um in this mission in this level like just how much time has passed that the two have been mm. together. Cause I think up to this point, we've really only had the passing of seasons to kind of judge it. But um, thanks to a journal that we find later on from a certain character, we get a broader sense of just how long their journey has taken. Mm. Um, and it, it's been a long time. It's they've been together for like close to half a year, I think at this point. Um, and it's, it's a lot. They've been through a lot together. Um, and I think that's why, like, so we, we get to a scene where the giraffes show up and it's, I mean, this is a scene that's also like another one that, that gets referenced a lot, but <laughs> yeah. um, it is just like this really sweet moment of mm. Ellie just like snapping out of it and being happy again and stuff. But right. it then being a kid, surfaces. Right. What's up? Sorry. Being a kid. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Being a kid, um, have that childlike awe again. Mm -hmm. But it surfaces like Joel's internal conflict, which is, I mean, he doesn't even fully understand what's going to happen moving forward yet. But even still, he's starting to have his moment of doubt. Right? He's mm -hmm. starting to be like, "What if we just called this whole thing off? What if we just went back to Tommy's place and and just lived?" and just tried to live normal lives. Like he, he's starting to almost 
like dream of what a normal life might look like. He he says at the right after this this cutscene that we have where he poses that and Ellie's like, no, 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 like we have to do this. This is bigger than both of us. This journey has to mean something. Um, and and as you're walking afterwards, I remember he said something like, you know, I'm with you to the end, and uh, and. Ellie says something like, once this is all done, we'll go wherever you want to go. And it's like, okay, these two are like making plans. They're attached at the hip at this point. Like they are a pair now. Um, They've been through enough to get through that. They both believe there's an after, right? Right. Yes. Because that's, we've got Joel saying, I'll teach you guitar. And then I think Mm -hmm. a little bit later on, we've got Ellie saying, can you teach me to swim? So For whatever happens later on, at, at that point, I absolutely believe that both of them think that they're, they're, whatever resolution this comes to, they'll both be okay and they can kind of go off together. And, and um, well, yeah, I'm jumping ahead, aren't I? But yeah, I mean, I think <laughs> it's um, it's very clear at that point that they are both expecting an after. Right. But that's the ominous part is them talking about the after is what makes me sit there going like, even if I didn't know what was coming, I'd be sitting there like, something's going to go bad. Like characters don't talk like this unless yeah. something is about to go bad. And there, there was even, um, we, we, we kind of glossed over the giraffe scene. Cause like, but one of the interesting things that happens is, uh, so like, I guess that scene is kind of like Ellie's like, realizing, Oh, there's something like this world might be worth fighting for in the end. And that if giraffes can survive the apocalypse then maybe that like everything else can too. But uh-huh. the thing that, the thing that's, Interesting, I guess, is that, like, when Joel has that conversation, like, that moment of doubt, like, he does look back at the giraffes, and, like, they're, like, walking away, like, out of sight, and that's when it's like, oh, you can feel, like, the temperature drop in the room, that, like, Mm -hmm. something Mm -hmm. ominous is coming. Like, the thing that we had that was kind of, like, representing hope for what we're doing has distinctly left the scene in the game, and, like, the game has made a point to point that out. Yeah. Yeah. It's, um... They they go really over the top with the imagery in this in this yeah. section. I'm just gonna put that out there. Because yeah. <laughs> um, uh, then we run into we head into some tunnels and we get into what is, I'd say like the last section of clicker combat in mm-hmm. this game, like the last mm-hmm. bit of dealing with infected, and it is, it's a lot. Um, I got through it mostly in one go, but it was. Yep not the most ideal playthrough because I um I stealth through the first area pretty easily. Uh but that second area with two bloaters who seem to just be straight up blocking your path. Um <laughs> yeah. Like just straight up standing there. And I was like, okay, well here it goes. You know, I've been crafting and collecting resources all game. Guess I should finally use them. And oh just a rain of uh, bombs and Molotovs and yep. uh, hunting rifle shots like rain down upon the entire area. And I was like, okay, cool. <laughs> I forgot that that's a thing that you can totally do in this game. If you just want to say like, screw it and go loud, you can totally just like dump a bunch of stuff on them. And it was a lot easier to do that. It turns out than it was later on in the section, yeah. which was the way more difficult combat part. But right. um, yeah, it was fun to kind of just be like, okay, you know what? I'm just going to spend it all. I'm just going to dump it all here. Yeah. That was basically how I ended up having to do it too. Cause I, I, I mean, still wait my way through the first section with the second time. It was just like, ah, something. I think yeah. it, I did have a couple situations where it seemed like a clicker saw me, which is not what it should be able to do. Yeah. Um, and I, 
I noticed it enough times for me to wonder, like, if the fiction of the game is maybe has some kind of glitch in the system, because it, like, once was like felt like a fluke, but then it, when it kept happening, I was like, okay, something's off. But um, it, that did lead to me having to go loud, even though, even though I have, you know, set up all of my weapons and builds for a stealth game, but... To be it's fair, fine. that's how I do most games, is that I mm. start off hoping to be stealthy, right. and then I get maybe three quarters of the way through, and then it all goes to shit, and then I have to bomb my way out there. <laughs> we, we all feel yeah. That's almost how, how I do everything. Like, I was thinking about this while I was playing it, but, like, I the one that sticks out the most is, like, Deus Ex Human Revolution. I got through most of that game doing, like, a perfect stealth run, and I got to that last section of that game where I was just like okay, you know what, like, there are boss fights I gotta deal with, and there are so many enemies on this island or whatever, I'm just gonna start using guns and being loud and just whatever, I don't care anymore. <laughs> it's um, like Dishonored, you know, they're yeah, very yeah. different games, uh, depending on how, on how you choose to play them, but like I said, I always, I start off with the best of intentions to be stealthy, and then, mm -hmm. I, I, it's interesting what you said about that clicker, because I, now you've said it, I recall being really frustrated myself at the time that the same mm. bloody clicker kept seeing me no um which mm -hmm. like you said is is not supposed to happen um but that whole segment it's so the 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 environment's so tight i don't well i don't know you're better than me if you can get through that entire thing stealthy because no. I, I i it's just yeah. not it's not possible and for correct me if I'm wrong you can't take down the bloaters either can you you can't stealth kill them nope you can't. No, I think you have to like fight yeah. them in some way. Yeah, yeah. and they, like uh, you said, they were always in the way. So yeah, that that wasn't happening for me. But I mean, it, it was, it, as you said, it was kind of cool to use those kind of those weapons because that's not I spend my whole life doing stealth takedowns and ships. So it was kind of cool actually. Oh yeah, this is nice. <laughs> just mm. chucking Molotovs in and just seeing what happens. Yeah, it was a reminder that there's not necessarily, like, in Dishonored, there's a reason to want to go non-lethal. But yeah. in The Last of Us, there's not really a reason to ever go non-lethal or stealth other than just, like, being able to get through uh, a situation using less resources yeah. or whatever. But if you're saving the resources eventually, like, what are you saving for if not to use them eventually? So. Uh -huh. You know, don't hoard your potions until the last boss of the RPG. You know, <laughs> let's mm. let's start using them right here. Um, but we get through that section, and uh, of course, we end up over some rapids. Some first, some water and a bunch of water puzzles, which I'm not even like. I don't think we need to spend time talking about it. They did more water puzzles. Like, I I'm Ken. Please tell me in Last of Us Part Two, there's no more water puzzles. <laughs> uh, no, Ellie can swim in that game. Thank yeah. God <laughs> she, she learned. Um, but uh, we do get to a part where we're over some rapids and doing some very uh, whoa, 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 high wire whoa, 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 balancing. Whoa, 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 whoa. whoa, whoa. What? You skipped the whole section at the checkpoint where Joel oh, and Ellie talk about. See, I thought we had talked about that already. That's how fast we're moving through some of this <laughs> stuff because I just want to talk about the hospital. But we got to <laughs> talk about this first. Um you are right that we, we did run into an area that is like a triage um, mm. where Joel like comments that he ended up in a place like this at the beginning of the outbreak uh, around the time that he lost Sarah. Um, and Ellie kind of like just gives him a very heartfelt, you know, I'm sorry about how difficult that was that that had to suck. Um, mm. 
And it's all, I think the other thing that struck me about this, I'm glad you mentioned it here too, Ken, is that like all of this is happening as you're walking around. There's not really a cutscene mm. here. Mm-hmm. Um, Cause Ellie also pulls out um, the photo that Tommy had originally tried to give us. And I guess ended up with Maria and then Maria showed it to Ellie and Ellie swiped it. Um, and uh, he hands it, she, she holds it out to him and this time unlike uh back at tommy's we actually take the photo and joel makes a comment of like no matter how hard you try i guess you can't ex- escape your past mm. um mm-hmm. and that's that's a big moment of character growth for him right. i mean this whole section really does feel like him trying to get past you know like like him finally showing signs that he is past the loss of sarah but like accepting the photo, especially the fact that he accepted it from Ellie specifically mm-hmm. is like a big character moment for right. him. Especially because mm-hmm. the, the last time that they had any conversation about this was back in the, the fall section where they were like yeah. yelling at each other, like not trying to like even meet on each other's levels. And like this point, like Joel says like, or back, back then Joel said like, you have no idea what loss is. And then Ellie was like, fuck you. No, I do. And, but then at this point, like she's just straight up like, I can't imagine you having to go through that. Like, not trying to, like, neither of them are trying to, like, one-up each other anymore. They're just, like, able to have a mm. more frank conversation about the situation and how it's had an effect on both of them. I also think that line, I guess you can't escape your past, was, no spoilers, I promise, but it was, was kind of great foreshadowing, really, mm. for, for the sequel. Yep. Um, mm. Because so much of that is, is because of the consequences, what happens in the hospital. So it, it's super cool. Um, but that, and, that, and that line felt differently when I, having played the second, it, mm. it felt cool. I promise yeah. I won't say any more than that. I've already probably already <laughs> spoiled it. You can cut that out. I mean, we, we allude to <laughs> stuff. I mean, we, we try okay. to, we try to preserve the sanctimony of like spoilers as much as we can, but these are also games that I think even if you haven't played them, you are like, most people are generally familiar with them. Like most of our listeners yeah. are probably generally familiar with at least some of the content of the last of us part two. So um, okay. it's hard not to be when you follow games. <laughs> oh, it's, I know you said, particularly if you write, you write news about them. Absolutely. I mean, I know things about games I've never played. I have right. an encyclopedic knowledge of some stuff that I've never gone anywhere near. So yeah, it, it, it goes with the territory, I suppose. Right. But, I can remember yeah. most like fort, like big Fortnite events and updates. And I think I haven't played more than 10 minutes of Fortnite in my life. <laughs> I'm exactly um, the same. Yeah. Fortnite yeah. doesn't do anything for me. But no. yeah, Ugh. back to that whole underwater swimming section, though. I, I when um, when Joe gets knocked and they yeah, kind of go underwater. Yeah, when he falls into the rapids. Yeah. See, I, I have huge issues with the underwater sections anyway because I, I get horrendously stressed mm-hmm. and hold my own breath as if I'm the character, like it, not intentionally, just because I'm mm. a dick. <laughs> and I've never really recovered since like Metal Gear Solid 2 when you had to mm-hmm. do the whole underwater segment with Emma. Yep. And if you yep. were, if you missed like by a million fucking quarter of a second, she'd start kind of seizing under the water and then mm-hmm. die on you. So yep. ever since then, every time there's an underwater se- segment, I'm like, oh shit, oh shit. Yes. Am I going to get out of it? Am I going to get out of it? So yeah, I, I, as soon as that happened, I was like, oh no. Oh no. Mm. It's it's terrifying because I, I think the other thing that freaked me out was there's a part where Joel is up against the back of this bus and you can see all the way up the front of the bus 
and I swore that there was going to be something coming down the bus at him. I was like, mm. this is this is what I would do if I was this like, you know, level designer here. I would have some sort of like terrible piece of rebar or something like that flying down the rapids down the lane. Because John of the hasn't bus. been through enough. Yeah, <laughs> no, no. Let's add a little bit more. Um, and then of course it like, it ends in, in the situation where Ellie like jumps in to try and save you, even though she cannot swim, but she is going to risk her life to try and save you, um, save Joel. But, uh, she gets washed in with it and Joel has to basically swim underwater for an extremely long amount of time. Like Mm -hmm. it's, it's one where the game is like pounding your controller because you push past your breath limit and then you surface with Ellie and as Joel is desperately trying to do CPR or not CPR. Um, no, it is CPR. Yeah, right? it is CPR. I, yeah. I always yeah. get confused because there's like, I think there's technically a, yeah, there's a distinction between CPR and mouth to mouth resuscitation, which you would not use in this case. But, um, I don't know. My CPR training was a long time ago. I'm sorry, folks. <laughs> it's, you, you've, you've already impressed me though. Cause I have no CPR training. So I, yeah. I'm just sat here enraptured and thinking how knowledgeable you sound. So you should you just work at a, <laughs> you work at a summer camp and, and you have to take some level of CPR training just in case, right. even though I never had to like a lifeguard or anything. They still wanted everyone who worked there to have some level of CPR training. So, um, I have done, I have practiced on a dummy and done mouth to mouth resuscitation on a dummy before. Um, that was exciting. But, um, I mean that, that, when that happened, that was, I, th- I think because all the characters are opaque, right? So no one's really good and no one's really bad. And mm-hmm. everyone's kind of this, this human soup of good ideas and bad ideas and good things and bad things. Mm-hmm. And I think, uh, we'd always been, you know, we were trying to get to the fireflies. The fireflies will sort this out. If we've got to Marlene, it'll be okay. We've got to get to the fireflies. We've got mm-hmm. to get to the fireflies. And we've we've encountered them a couple of times as kind of a long story. But here, you know, Joe's trying to save Ellie's life. Mm. And they said, hands up. And yep. it's like, what are you doing? Right. That's absolutely crazy. So I think that... Um, that, that was, and like I said, I know we've encountered them before, but that was like the first time I thought, oh, wait, you're definitely not good guys. Who does right. that? Who says that? Doesn't matter yeah. what side you're on. Doesn't mean if they'd never seen Joel before, had no idea who Ellie was, and Marlene later says that she didn't know, the the, the soldiers didn't know who right. they were. But that's mm-hmm. not the point. <laughs> it could have been anyone. Right. And he's trying to save a life, and they're like, hands up. It's like, holy shit. Yeah. It's, like it's absolutely a throwback to the prologue a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. Super ruthless, super mm-hmm. uncaring, unfeeling. There's mm. no kindness. There's no humanity. There's no empathy. There's no compassion. It's just this endless train of of horror and loss, right. and mm-hmm. and really, and just kind of inhuman decision making, I suppose. Just, so yeah, yeah that very whole thing mean-spirited. blew my mind. Yeah. Mm. Ken, did you want to say something there? No, that that was that was of it. Okay. Yeah, no, I was this this whole section I was just sitting there and I was like, "Oh god, once the soldiers showed up, I was like, it's the prologue all over again. Yep. It's mm-hmm. the same thing that Joel went through back then and now like we're going to wake up in a bed and are we going to know if Ellie's okay or not?" Um And I wonder and if that was the turning point for Joel because it a was little a bit prologue. probably. Yeah. yeah. It certainly um, leads up to what is like the more definitive like 
turning point moment where he makes a decision clearly informed by a lot of there are a lot of parallels here that we'll have to like mm-hmm. unpack yeah. one by one. So so let's get into it. All right. Uh, so we wake up and Marlene is there, uh, and she gives us a welcome to the Fireflies. Uh, basically explains that uh, as as Vicky mentioned, those were Firefly soldiers. Um, they apologize for it. They tell us Ellie's okay. You know, Joel's obviously okay. Um, she uh, she fought through a whole bunch of shit to get to Utah. Um, obviously, like Joel tells her, like we managed to get through it, and he makes a comment like it was her. She fought like hell to get here. You know, maybe it was meant to be. Um, Marlene, boy, this. Th- this whole conversation gets even more like haunting as, as soon as you realize that Marlene already knows like what's going to happen right. once she starts having this conversation with Joel. But, um, uh, you know, Joel wants to go see Ellie and, um, obviously Marlene's like, don't worry about it. You, you don't got to take care of her anymore. Um, it's almost like, okay, you delivered your package. Right. Good job. Um, mm. And, and he's like, no, I worry. Just let me see her. And so she drops, Marlene drops that she's being prepped for surgery. Um, so they found that the cordyceps uh, that infest people have somehow mutated in Ellie's body. And that's why she's immune. And once they remove it, they'll be able to reverse engineer a vaccine that should make everyone else immune as well. And Joel points out, but, you know, the cordyceps, that grows all over the brain and there's kind of a pause and Marlene's like, it does. And that's when it, it all kind of clicks and mm-hmm. Joel's like, find somebody else. Um, and Marlene's like, there is nobody else. Uh, and, and she orders the guard to basically walk Joel out of there at gunpoint and says, if he tries to do, you know, if he tries to stop anything, if he tries to do anything, shoot him. And she goes on this sanctimonious rant about like, oh, you know, I, this is nothing compared to what I've been through. I feel like I've heard a lot of characters in this game say this already. So that's maybe that's why <laughs> yeah. I was a little tired. Everyone is like, that's nothing compared to what I've been through. And I'm like, I get it. Everybody's everybody's life sucks in this. It's like, I think we can all agree that life universally sucks. <laughs> and um, but Marlene is like, I've known her since she was born. I promised her mother I'd look after her but this isn't about me. There's no other choice here. Um, and she takes off and then Joel is getting walked out by Mr. Gunman. And you can kind of see the cogs turning already. And he notices his backpack is, is conveniently sitting nearby. And so he, uh, he does a very Joel thing and grabs the gun from the guy is like, where's the operating room? And he doesn't say anything. And Joel's like, well, fuck this. And shoots him a couple times. Is like, where's the operating room? Finds out it's on the top floor, kills the guy, and we're into it. So um, let, let's unpack all that. <laughs> let's, um, so this is the big reveal that, yes, Ellie could theoretically... I mean, so... They, they pose it as it's like a sure thing. Like they will be able to reverse engineer a vaccine. Mm. Um, for some reason I had it in my head that it was supposed to be played, that that was like just a possible way to create a vaccine. And it was not a hundred percent guaranteed that they would get one out of it. But maybe I'm misremembering Ken. They, I no, mean, no, they, no. I, I'm with you. Yeah. Yeah. There's like logs, like audio logs that we'll find throughout the section that imply that it is not necessarily for sure, but it's like, pretty probable it's like the best chance that they've had so far right but it is definitely not considered a definite sure thing 
Yeah. Um, but I think even that does not necessarily play into the decision making here right. that that goes through Joel's mind. Um, I mean, we're basically posed with the idea that like Ellie can die to potentially save everyone in the world. And I feel like, and I was hinting at it in winter and in fall that like, I feel the entirety of last of us is built on this one point of like, what is worth enough to you to damn everything that you love in order to keep it safe? Like, you know, what would it take for someone to make the sort of decision that Joel makes here? And Mm. I gotta tell you like this whole combat section i'm playing through it and i'm like killing soldiers and stuff and like joel is definitely like hell yeah come and get me i'm i'm coming for you and stuff like that like i'm getting ellie out of here and i'm sitting here like massively conflicted <laughs> like, i'm like i don't know if this is the it right doesn't call, give you man. a choice you don't yeah. have a choice it's not an rpg you don't get to make decisions and, you don't get to paragon or renegade your way out of this it the, the the script's predestined all yeah. you do is move the buttons and and i think that was um i think that was really hard to do yeah. i think it was really hard because as you said i mean he's a he's a murder machine at this point mm-hmm. he there is no there's no gray area there's no doubt there's nothing from the moment he said i ain't got time for this and shoots that soldier in there Bull's stomach area. I'm not sure exactly where it is. Both sound quite. Painful, I, I think they were. But... I think they were gut shots. I think. Yeah. I think gut he got shot. him with a couple gut shots. Yeah. But I mean, it was. We we we've seen glimpses of that Joel throughout the game, so it's not like it was a massive surprise. But it was like any humanity he had left had gone. There, there was none of that left anymore. He was just. Uh, he was he was singularly focused on getting Eddie back, and he was mm-hmm. gonna. He was gonna kill or hurt anyone he had to to get to kind of get there and and i i know we've got the parallels of of what happened with sarah at the beginning and i know that we've seen a a warmer joel who's who's grown to love ellie and to care about her but i'm still not convinced that that even that that has the impact that we think it does on what's happening now because it for me i feel that it's just be he's always been that guy and i and and i don't Mm. know if it i i feel it's pre kind of pre-apocalypse but that's who he is so i don't think it was the six months he spent with ellie has has has, has done that. i think he's always been capable of that kind of rage and it did feel like rage at that end mm. it felt like he was mm-hmm. he was he was payback it was payback for what right. had happened to him for everyone that he's lost for everything that's happened um, and he didn't care that he was a, wasn't a good guy, and he didn't care that they might not be good guys or bad guys or what. It 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 was just that singular focus, and I, and I think the fact that you don't get a choice in that, that you don't get to say, you know, to pick path A or path B, is an incredibly brave decision to make, particularly mm. in games where so much of it is about right. our agency and what we can choose mm-hmm. to do and what we don't mm. do. To remove that choice from us, looking back now, was such a ballsy move. Right. Um, mm-hmm. And 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 you and it's almost it's not even like you could try and do a pacifist run because they'll kill you. Mm-hmm. You have to you have to kill those soldiers. You have to keep going or or it's game over. And I thought that was incredible. And I think that's um, something that I've been coming to terms with in terms of uh, both both part one and part two is what I think the Last of Us actually does 
with the the medium of video games that I think is very interesting is that it is like a lot of people say that like not having a choice is like antithetical to like the medium of video games. But I was like, no, I think like not giving you a choice and forcing you to reckon with like the perspective of the character that you're mm-hmm. playing as is what The Last of Us does so well, which is why I think a lot of, and you know, this is getting, like, probably too far ahead, this is talking more part two stuff, which is why I think a lot of these sort of, uh, the, the, the feeling that some people have that part two is, like, putting guilt on the player for things that people do in those games feels a little disingenuous, just because I don't think that's what the format of these games uh, is meant for. I think, like, it is a very deliberate decision to, like, put people in roles that they have to, like, you know, you can, t- you can have your takeaway about these people all you want by the time it's over, but I don't think it's about, like, you being able to be the main character of the story. And I, th- I think it is very much about, like, you have to inhabit this role, see it to the end, and you, you're free to take away what you do based on what these people do. But I don't... It's, like, it's distinctly not about the player. It's a and, stage play. You know, right. like, you're playing a part in a play. Yeah. 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 And I think... Yeah. And that's what I think is... So the, everything you said, Vicky, is, like, totally a valid takeaway from Joel. But, like, I... Especially, like, after part two and, like, conversations that happen in that game... I feel very sympathetic to Joel in this moment in a way that I think maybe I, I, like, I think it's, it's, it's giving you the leeway to take away what you want, but I feel very sympathetic to like, this is a man that is like had like state sanctioned violence that took away one daughter. And now he's got this other outside force telling him like, no, your daughter needs to go for, like your, your new surrogate daughter uh, needs to go for the betterment of everybody. But like Ellie, like I, you know, you, you got this person that's like had to experience one loss that he was basically like has since taken away from him by forces outside of his of uh, what he could control, and now he has mm-hmm. another chance. And I think that's like it, it's it's strange to me to like even talk to some people about these games and like people like oh Joel's an irredeemable monster, and I'm like I just don't view him that way anymore. And like I just, like there's there's some stuff like that happens after the hospital section that uh ha- that made me raise my eyebrows back in the day, but like now I'm just like this is like a very flawed man that uh, cares enough about this person that that person having the opportunity to live a life not determined by somebody else. Granted, you know, there's an irony there that, like, what's happening to Ellie is being determined by Joel, and that is a whole other discussion for another game. But, um, yeah, I just, like, I don't feel, like, the animosity towards him that so many other people do, because I'm just like, this is something the game has been, like, very carefully, like, uh, putting the tracks down for this to go, and I'm just like, this just, I don't know how this game could have ended any other way. Like, I just don't, like, the game deliberately is playing with, like, how perspective can maybe, like, it, it, is, it is trying to uh, make you feel a level of empathy by making you inhabit that role. And mm-hmm. um, that's why I think just think it's, a, it's an incredibly effective video game moment, and I think it really lays the groundwork for part two to take that and extrapolate it further in a way that uh, really just sticks with me. Like, and and it's interesting because like I, I said, um, you know, at the very beginning of this season that like, I feel like The Last of Us is like remarkably unremarkable for its time. But I think I just like, after we've been playing through it all again, like seeing it so meticulously lead to this moment, and you know, puts you in in the shoes of that character that is not going to like have branching paths and is going to force you to reckon with the fact that this is a character and a role that you have to inhabit. Man, I just, I really feel like I undersold this game. And that's impressive, <laughs> considering this is, like, one of my favorite games of all time. Like, the, the sequel to, like, the, you know, this series is one of my favorites in the medium. And I'm just like, man, like, even then, I was just not really letting it speak for itself at that point. But, yeah, I guess we had to see the whole thing through to really know that. 
I mean, I, I think I think for me it was the fact that, um, and, and I absolutely hear what you're saying. And he's not. I don't think he's a irredeemable monster. Mm-hmm. I think he's a man that's broken. Right. Um, mm-hmm. But I'm not. I, I think I think the absolute lack of remorse and the lack and the and the, it's not like we watched him. Um, it's not like we watched him him kind of grapple with this as he went through as as we've talked right. about i think right up until they got to the hospital they thought that she was going to be okay so he was delivering her they were mm-hmm. going to reverse somehow reverse engineer a vaccine and uh, the world would be saved and isn't that wonderful and i i don't think he was in until he was in the hospital and he came around he realized she was being prepped for surgery that he understood i think what was happening but i i, I think the issue for me is that there was no there's no sense of him grappling with that decision. There's no right. doubt. There's no um, mm. indecision. There's nothing there that's happening to make me think that this was a a moment that Joel had to had to come to terms with. Right. And I think it's the and it, and it is absolutely masterful kind of character creation mm. in terms of making a really real feeling character. It is that he didn't he didn't need anything else to tip him over the edge. Right, and I think that's why some people think sometimes he, you know, he some class him as a monster, because he did. And that's not to say what happened to Ellie is a small or insignificant thing, right. as it clearly isn't. But there, there was no element of him. Oh shit! I could, shouldn't have done that. Oh shit! Right. I need to get out of here. I just need to get her and go. From the moment he realised that her life was at risk, he just became a murder mm-hmm. machine. And I think yeah. that that is why some people feel that he's a bit irredeemable because there wasn't any of that hesitation right. or, or grab. And we get a lot of that in games, really. You know, we always get kind of the, the tortured soul, the, the tortured mm. protagonist, you know, something awful's happened to them. Um, and I don't think we had any of that with Joel. He went from, okay, we're going to save the world to, oh, okay, I'm going to have to kill you all to get right. Ellie out of here. And that, right. and that was an incredibly brave thing to do, but an incredibly cold thing to do too. Mm. So... This was like, this was a really like fortuitous timing for me to play this section of the game because uh, this last weekend I played obviously this section and I also finished Near Replicant, mm. <laughs> which is uh, not for like total spoilers out there, but it is a game that is also about like what a person is willing to do to get back the ones that they love and protect the ones that they love. Right. Um, and especially in the last of us, I, you know, again, this might lead into stuff that we talk about later, but like, I feel like there are two competing philosophies that are framed here based off of the same starting point. And, and that is, we get it really well later on when Ellie says to us, like, you know, what about Sam? What about Tess? Mm -hmm. What about Sarah? Mm -hmm. Like she lists out all the people that have died in their respective lives. And to her, that means that they need to finish the task. That means that they need to sacrifice. They need to continue sacrificing in the hopes that one day no one else will need to sacrifice. Mm. Uh-huh. To Joel, in this moment, I think he is hearing that sacrifice, but he has seen a world that will destroy no matter what it is. Like, the Cordyceps virus did not kill his daughter. Humans did. Right. Like, people kill other people in this world like Mm -hmm. for all the atrocities that have happened in the course of the last of us 
like the infection honestly played a pretty minor part in most of them. <laughs> yeah. Um, like most of the horror that happens is humans inflicting violence on other humans or human tragedy in some way. And I feel like through stories like Sam's and um, the, the notes we were picking up in that section in Pittsburgh as well, uh, where this entire community is destroyed and, and ripped apart because one person, like one kid theoretically uh, forgot to lock the door behind them. Like, I feel like it's almost setting up this idea of, tragedy will always come like human beings human life is temporary and it's what you do with that life and more importantly like what you know what you do fight for and that's kind of what joel puts forward is like in that moment he's thinking okay human population could be saved but is it worth saving to me if ellie is not a part of this Mm -hmm. and the decision he comes to is that it's not like humanity is not worth saving if Ellie is part of it. And that's a really profound decision to have that Mm -hmm. moment where you say, maybe humanity is doomed and it's better for us to ride it out this way with the ones we love than to try Mm -hmm. and flail about in an active futility to try and save ourselves. Cause what the fuck are we saving? Like, look at all that has happened in this trip so far. It's a very nihilistic way of viewing it. I understand it's a very depressing way of viewing it, but, um, well, this game is depressing. Yeah. And I mean, it is, it's a, again, like playing near replicant poses a similar thing where it's like, if humans are going to create and destroy, then maybe it's time that we find something different. It's time that we change as a species. And, it's like it's it's a really interesting i feel like there were a lot of games that were toying with some of these ideas at the time a lot of like authors and creators who were toying with ideas like this but it's um i mean we're dealing with situations that are so desperate and finding the things that make life worth living like joel literally is just like yeah this is and and i think the greater ethical quandary oddly enough does not come here but it comes later uh then we will talk about that for sure um but joel is making a decision that lines up with everything that he has done so far here and as much as like i myself personally am like i don't know if i could make this decision i feel like this game has justified up to this point the decision that joel makes or at least justified oh, yeah. why we can understand that right. this is the decision he Absolutely. comes to yeah and um and man, I did some terrible shit to those Firefly soldiers. <laughs> like I was like, cause they, I feel like the game at this point between the, the two bloaters that it puts in your path earlier on and here with like soldiers that have guns that are way better than anything you have faced up to this point. Like they have assault rifles and they're wearing body armor. And previously to this point, you've just been facing like, you know, Billy and his revolver. And now you've got like, these soldiers fanning out with like, if you get caught, you're dead. Like that's just straight up. Like you can't fight these guys head on the way that you can with every other enemy in the game. I think I died more in the hospital than I did any other point in the game. Yeah. Just by, because I took a wrong move. I started doing like straight up war crimes. Like I was like (laughs) Molotoving people. (laughs) And there was a point where I shot a dude 
and then threw a brick near his body just to make sure that everybody knew it was there. And then I threw a bomb on top of his body because I was like, that's how I can kill some dudes that are checking this out is they're going to come check it out. And then I'll pick off the other ones. And I was thinking in my head, I'm like, man, this is real fucked up what I'm doing right now. (laughs) I am booby trapping a man's dead body to save my surrogate daughter from surgery. But you know what? We're doing this. (laughs) Like, let's lean into it. I'm writing that down. That seems like a legit <laughs> tactic to me, and I wish oh. I played that way now. <laughs> it was incredibly effective, let me tell you. Um, but <laughs> it's—I mean, it—it it gets you there, and then we we come to like the culmination of all of it, where we enter the actual surgery room. And so we mentioned earlier that there are some notes and stuff that we've picked up along the way. Uh, we find Marlene's journal, where Marlene has kind of. Uh, detailed how she lost a ton of people on the way to the Fireflies and also by the time they got to the Firefly Firefly base in Utah, um, they had not heard any word from Joel or Ellie or Tess. Nobody knew where they were, obviously, because the entire Firefly escort got wiped out um, all the way back in ages ago in Boston. So um, that's like they basically think that Ellie's gone now and she's, she's mm-hmm. writing about how like everyone's giving her the stink eye and everyone's like, mm-hmm. you know, hope is lost. And then Ellie shows back up and she's like, aha. And then like, there's an entire recorder thing where she's like trying to justify, right. Um, killing Ellie to, to reverse engineer this vaccine. And she's speaking to as Ellie's if mom, to Ellie's mother. Right? Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, which was a whole thing. And then Sorry, you also get notes British from the doctor. Mom. um so we get all of that where we have all this justification but then we get to the surgery room and the doctor like freezes and he's just straight up like i'm not going to let you stop this and he pulls the scalpel and this is like the big moment here i feel where it's like are you going to kill this dude to save ellie and I mean, I shotgun blasted that dude. That dude, like that, that, so, that was that was one and done. But um, uh, do you know? I, I tell you what was really cool about that sequence is when you when you first open the doors and you go in, and and there's a there's a window in front of you, and there's yeah, a gallery yes. for right for medical yeah. students to watch, and the curtains were drawn, mm-hmm. and I thought that that um, to me showed. I think it felt it, it indicated that they were aware of what they were doing and they right. weren't letting anyone watch it. So, so they mm-hmm. were trying to, they were trying to preserve the, I don't know. It was, it was a solemn, sad thing that right. was happening. And the fact that they drew the drapes so no one could watch, I thought was, it was a really interesting, quite poignant point yeah. to say, like it, right. we're not celebrating this. We're not learning from this. We just need to, we right. need to put it to sleep. We we're need do, to reverse engineer. We're doing engineer. something that we're not okay yeah. with. Yeah. Right. Yeah, yeah, and but I and I think do and I I don't think I'd saw that. I don't I hadn't even noticed because you're so fucking fired up, right, to mm, get in mm-hmm. there and stop it happening. And it was only like I think I mean I've played well an embarrassingly number of times probably, um, mm-hmm. and I rewatched a bit in pre- preparation for this, and that was that was I think the first time that I I'd, I'd noticed mm. that, and and so. I mean, I never really got my, I, I, I don't have a lot of time for Marlene. I understand what she was trying to do, but I felt that whole tape record of her trying to justify the murder of Ellie uh, to the, the spirit of Ellie's mother was mm-hmm. was really crass. And, and I kind of lost much sympathy for Marlene then. I thought, mm-hmm. you, do you know what, mate? If you, you, you know why you're doing it. You're trying to preserve humanity. You're trying to make a difference. And that's an admirable goal and trying to justify it 
that way isn't isn't what's going to work for me. But that closed drape does. <laughs> mm. That to yeah. me just symbolised, like you said, that they were not okay right. with what was going to happen here. Well, one of those is the word, the other one's actions. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. Mm. Exactly. But then yeah. he, but then he pulls speaking actions. He pulls the scalpel on you, and I was like, okay, man, you can try and stop me. And then when he pulls the scalpel. I'm like, all right, buddy, you brought a knife to a gunfight. <laughs> <laughs> Which um, you, uh, there is um one like if you go up to him and you hit square, Joel will grab the scalpel and shove it into his throat. Which I think is kind of the way that the game wants you to handle this, but like you can just handle it with whatever you've got on hand. Oh, shotgun! Yeah, it was shotgun yeah. to the face yeah. for me. Yeah. yeah just, Oh, mine was to the chest. I wasn't trying to, you know, this, this, you know. Oh, no, he it. had to die and instantly. So for all keep the other solemn. shit that I've been saying, when I'm playing <laughs> that game, I need to get Ellie out of there. <laughs> well, and I mean, you want to, like, hit it with the real, like, build up and come down. After that, like, I killed the dude. And then the other two doctors are just cowering in the corner. And they're just like, please don't kill me. Please don't kill me. And I was just, like, standing there with my little, like, pistol shotgun, like, Oh man, I killed a whole lot of people right now, mm. didn't I? <laughs> and yeah. like, I look like a monster to these people right now. But um, well, that's what she shouts. She shouts. She shouts, "You fucking animal!" Right? Yeah, yeah. That's what the nurse shouts. You know. So it's just in case there's any any doubt on on mm-hmm. on the man that we've become. Yeah, you fucking animal. So I I mean I killed them both, because um, <laughs> I am I, an animal, and I I I was worried that if I left witnesses that was going to somehow that would that would have an impact so i was mm. like is it giving me an option to kill them yes it is okay i'm going to kill them mm. Mm. much more thorough which says than... more about <laughs> me yeah i left them alive to send a message <laughs> <laughs> right. and honestly a lot of good that it did yo yeah that then, that was the pro- and then he goes he says come on baby girl yeah you know, mm-hmm. which which is just heartbreaking. I got you. I got you. Come on, baby girl. And which we know is what he, he said yeah. to Sarah. So, yeah. And that whole run oh. out of out of the place where like no, the soldiers don't even shoot at you initially because they're so afraid of like potentially killing Ellie, which is bizarre to me. Like mm-hmm. they just straight up were not shooting at me for most of it. And then once you get near the elevator, it's like very clear that you are going to abscond. Like that's you know they finally start shooting but it's a little too little too late um and i and think that's the have... first time we get music because i think up until think that so. point it, yeah. it had been it was just kind of ambient sound mm. <laughs> which was just fire and guns is pretty much all you hear right and i think mm. it's only as you're then trying to run to the elevator that you get the sad strings come in yeah and i think the 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 impact of what you're doing really it kind of comes through in the score there so i, I I, I think it was um, because music can soften it, right? I, I mean, mm. I know we're, music's emotional and leads you to feel different ways, but the absence of music, the absence of, of any kind of um, score along with what you're doing actually makes it, makes everything feel much more real. Mm. And I think mm-hmm. hearing the gunshots, hearing the echo, hearing the soldiers shout to each other, hearing them scream, all of that without kind of the soaring strings beneath it, was really effective and yeah. i think for, for i know there's been lots of really good things said about the music that companies but actually i think the sound design and also the 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 use of silence is mm. <laughs> it's deafening it really right. had an impact mm-hmm. on me and, and and how i felt as i was as i was trying to escape 
Yeah, it's a play on the same music that was playing when uh, Sarah died at the very beginning, so it's like mm. very direct with the parallels it's making. Yeah. Right. And um, we we get all the way to the bottom of the elevator, and who else is waiting for us but Marlene? And she's got a gun pulled on us and is like, you know, what the hell are you doing? Like, you know, she's going to die. Like, everyone dies. And, and she really, like, she pulls some guns out pretty fast. Like, not just the literal gun, but being like, how long until she's torn to pieces by a pack of clickers? And that's... That's one thing I feel like they didn't take into account with the vaccines that even if we can make everyone immune to this disease, it's not like that kills all of the many, many infected we have so far. That's so, a really good point. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, it just means that the cordyceps would not infect anyone new, but that also means that like, we still need to kind of deal with all of the massive amounts of zombies across the U S it just, it just means like a, a bite's not going to be a definite. Yeah. Well, I mean, yeah, getting bitten once won't be a death sentence, but I think getting bitten a couple times is going to create some. Uh... Well, I mean, think like think about like if Tess had been vaccinated, she would she would be here still because she only fair. got bit once. That's fair. Same with Sam. I prom I promise everyone at home, this is not. I'm not trying to anti-vaccine this. I swear to God. <laughs> Please don't. <laughs> I'm getting my second yeah. shot on Wednesday, probably right around the time, time this episode goes live. I'm very excited. <laughs> I swear to God, I'm just I'm just saying that was one aspect that I, all of a sudden I was like, oh right, yeah, like clickers will still exist. It's not like you can just inject a clicker with this and it'll make them okay again. Or even if it did, I don't know if that would be very pleasant. So <laughs> that's and it, um, and it is the fact that they it isn't just you get bitten by a clicker and you become one. I mean, it is the they they do. We've seen it plenty of times, ripped people apart. So it, mm. it isn't just a matter of whether or not you can survive the virus. Um, it is about, and then she says about uh, how long is it till she's raped and murdered? It's like, oh, yeah, that's shit. when she and, really pulls it. And yeah. Like, <laughs> yeah, in that yeah, case, yeah. if I'm Joel in that situation, I'm like, okay, you need to calm down a little bit. <laughs> yeah. Uh, right. Particularly after what happened in, in winter. Yeah. 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 <laughs> right. Marlene's uh, playing with fire that she doesn't fully understand there. Um, but yeah, like Joel points it out. He's like, that ain't for you to decide. And I think that is like, again, you want to talk about the driving philosophies of this game and, and kind of the competing philosophies of this game. But like the idea that everyone's fate is their own to decide and we don't get to decide them for each other. Like, you know, Tess mm -hmm. chose to go out the way that she did and mm -hmm. um, obviously what happened with Henry and stuff like that. But like everyone uh, deserves the right at least to determine their own fate and Joel's determined his. And I feel like in some ways Joel is almost criticizing Marlene in this situation because Marlene is, is kind of relying on the it's for the good of everyone mm -hmm. to justify something uh, that she's still okay with. Like, I feel, you know, we talked about the doctors and pulling the curtains and stuff like that, but I feel like Marlene was ready to sacrifice just about anything for even oh, a yeah, chance yeah, yeah. at a yeah. cure. And the way that she ends she, up, she wouldn't have drawn those drapes. No, no. <laughs> yeah. And I, I think that's just where I ended up with at this character. And I don't know if this is textual or if this is just like my reading of it, but, um, this, this is a character who I think ultimately like, always just cared about 
you know, what, what's the greater cause and I'm going to fight for that cause and whatever happens between here and, you know, point A and point B, it was all justified. You know, she talks about how she went across the country with her group to, to get back to Utah and all that. And they lost a ton of people and like, that sucks, but we got more, you know, it's like, Mm. it's, you start to understand the fireflies as being not just this like hopeful um, faction that's trying to make good in the world, but having this almost like zealotry to them in that they are willing Absolutely. to do anything. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. It's where it kind of turns and gets a little, I mean, I think we'll see more of that in part two, if my understanding is correct, but um, yeah, it's, it's interesting. Yeah. Um and before we really get an answer, we cut to Joel driving away from Salt Lake City. Insta and it lingers cut. for a bit. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's an amazing cut. I mean, this whole, this whole like cut scene section is pretty incredible. Just the way they, I mean, it is, it, it's set up like a film, essentially. They, mm-hmm. You know, it's, mm-hmm. it is camera angles and stuff. And um, it lingers for a moment before. Uh, we hear some movement in the back seat and we see Ellie still in her, her hospital gown uh, coming to, um, you know, and, and Joel, she's obviously like, what happens? And Joel um, lies. Joel tells Ellie that the fireflies found several uh, immune people already. There were dozens, he said, but they, we haven't been able to come to any conclusive uh, ways that would create a cure. So we're just, you know, they've stopped looking and we're just going home. Um, and then it cuts back to him shooting Marlene and putting Ellie in the back of the car and then going back and killing Marlene, you know, saying, you know, she begs him to, to spare her. And he says, you'll just come looking. Um, and mm, I mean, do we want to just like go straight into the ending to like talk about this more holistically? Yeah, let's like, unpack it all one, in the end. One more scene that kind of builds on this a little bit. Um, so then we we jump ahead, and we we are controlling Ellie now. We are back at Jackson. We're back at Tommy's, like heading into the area where Tommy's uh, places, and uh, we're playing as Ellie, and and we're quiet again, like. It's, it's it's not totally quiet, but Ellie is kind of quiet, and um, Joel is almost like happy-go-lucky in a way. Like yeah. he's talking about like, oh, you know, you and Sarah would have gotten along so well. We're gonna be able to do so much stuff in Jackson. Like he's just he's peachy in a way mm-hmm. that's like very strange given the subject matter that we've just been talking about in the car. Right. Um, and uh, I did take the moment, by the way, Ken, to to look at all of. Ellie's collectible. So I did that. Um, mm. but, um, we, you know, we're, we're going and he's, he's looking out at the the town and he's all excited and stuff like that. And Ellie kind of stops him and is like, Hey, you know, when I got bit and, and she tells the story about her and Riley, how they both got bitten. And, and she has this line. I'm glad you marked this here, Ken, cause it's like stuck with me. Um, we can, you know, Riley told me we can be all, poetic and lose our minds together we'll wait it out and ellie says i'm still waiting for my turn Mm. um riley died tess died sam died everyone has died and why is ellie still alive and they're dead and joel tries to comfort her you know he's like it's tough being the survivor it's difficult but you just have to keep finding things to fight for and move on and um and then Ellie pulls out the big guns where 
She's like, swear to me right now, swear to me everything that you said about the fireflies is true. And there's a pause, and then Joel says, I swear. Ellie says, okay. He looks her, he looks her in the eye. Mm. Yeah, says, I, I mean, swear. he delivers it. It's so hard to get this across in audio because, like, this <laughs> the, the visual element is so important here. And I would implore y'all if you're if you're just listening along, even if you've acted. played this, yeah, mm. yeah, yeah. It, even if you've already played this and and you've seen it before, go watch it again just specifically for this part. I give you permission to pause the podcast and go watch it. Like, <laughs> it is, it's it's haunting. It's mm. like I can picture it so clearly in my it's, in my mind, like the look such... on both their faces. It's such a smooth lie. And, mm-hmm. and it, it's not that it's instant, because it isn't. He kind of looks at her and he kind of rocks back on his heels. And then he looks her in the eye and he says, I swear. And, and <clears throat> so I'm a, I'm a parent, right? And, mm-hmm. and I've lied to my child many times. Right. Many times, either when I've been trying to protect them mm-hmm. or trying to love them, which are two mm-hmm. slightly different things in my mind. So uh, he had a he had an operation and he said will it hurt and I said it won't hurt and I, and that was not entirely true it, it didn't hurt when he was having the operation when he came to afterwards it was a bit sore right. but you know your job is to minimize pain right and and it's right. it's um it's it's a crazy thing I mean I've 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 been with my husband forever ever and ever we were teens when we were met never expected to still be with him now got married way too young don't know why anyone didn't stop me but anyway (laughs) I didn't think there was anything in the world I could love as much as I love that man and then you know my boy comes along and it it's 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 indescribable right and you will Mm -hmm. do anything you will do anything it's not just that you would take a bullet you would take a bullet and then terminator your way to the person who shot to kill them right it I mean Mm -hmm. it, it goes above and beyond what you can actually do and I so it, this bit to, kind of, I'm torn in, on, on this particular bit because I know why Joel's lying because right. we know that that the truth of that would break Ellie. Mm. She wouldn't be able mm. to cope with that, and and her, you know, she was so driven in her quest to save other people and to be a hero and to and and, and that was absolutely genuine. It was a sincere belief that she could make things better for other people, mm. and that's what she wanted. So Joel was lying. He thinks to protect her, but that lie was for him. Right. I don't think that was one of those lies where you're trying to protect your kid and you're trying to kind of just, just kind of postpone pain and hurt. It wasn't that kind of lie. I felt that that lie was for him because there's not, there's not a part of his story beyond the fact that he's lost loads of people, which would be very difficult to, to explain to her. I know we've lived as him, so we understand mm-hmm. him in a way that the NPCs around him might not necessarily. Mm-hmm. But for all that he's lost, he still wasn't fucking man enough to tell her what he did. He didn't believe in mm-hmm. his cause enough to come clean. And so that lie was protecting himself more than I think it was protecting her. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I can I can definitely feel that and Ken I'm gonna I'm gonna drop my thoughts in because I, I looked at your notes and have seen that you have some thoughts <laughs> so um, I'll, I'll pass it to you in a second but um, I mentioned it earlier but this idea of like competing philosophies and, and different takeaways from what death means in this universe and and what's worth living and dying for and I feel like that all comes to a head here and it's um like you know I I'm glad you said it Vicky because this is like 
at the end we have to recognize that Joel is acting selfishly. Like he is putting himself first and and mm-hmm. I think even in front of Ellie, like, you know, saving Ellie is definitely a thing that he's doing for Ellie, but it's as much doing it for himself and in that way he's not that different from Harleen where they're kind mm. of almost just using Ellie to their own ends and they can justify Absolutely. it in their own ways. Mm. But uh-huh. And I mean, so there's, there's so many, and and I know, Ken, you mentioned it here in your notes and like, I know I've seen it a million different, like people interpret this in so many different ways um, in terms of, you know, what these characters want out of this moment. But I think it's, it, it, it hit for me when Ellie delivers that. Okay. And to me, that was a moment of like quiet resignation between the two where I think Ellie is not dumb. All right. I think right. Ellie knows in that moment that Joel is not telling the truth. Um, and in that moment, I don't think Joel believes that Ellie believes him, right. <laughs> but it's, yeah, I'm with you. Yeah. I, I think in that situation, there was a silent agreement made between the two that no matter what had transpired, no matter what had gone down, this world fucking sucks. All right. It's terrible. And to them, in that moment, it's better to be with each other and deal with whatever shit than try and upend that. Mm. And that's almost like Ellie coming around to that way of thinking. And is it a good way of thinking? It's just, it's a selfish way of thinking. It mm. is. Um, but this world has taken so much from both of them that it's to me, it was like they almost both just made this resigned like we are going to hold on to the one thing that has been giving us joy here. And we are going to try and live with it for as long as possible. And I think there's, there's some complication in this that we can talk about afterwards in terms of making a sequel to this. Right. (laughs) But uh, Ken, what, what were your thoughts here at the end of this? So honestly, like even when I played the game initially uh, back in 2013, I was totally like on board, like on board, I say like I was, following Joel when it came to stopping the Fireflies and saving Ellie and getting out of there, it was the line that, like, started to, like, make me raise my eyebrows and start kind of be like, no, this is off, something's not great here. Mm. And then when it got to the scene, uh, like, on the outskirts of Jackson, where he's kind of like, you know, like you said, he's kind of almost happy-go-lucky, but just kind of, like, in high spirits. And I think there's, like, it felt almost creepy to me in a way and i think mm. that came from i like I, I was like 20 years old at the time so i maybe i with time oh, I, shit i'm old okay <laughs> <laughs> but um now when i when i play it now i kind of i see more of like the sort of uh the parental motivation behind these things like why you lied you know to protect your kid from pain why you kind of maybe to try and act like everything's totally normal and fine because you don't want to, like, make them blatantly aware of how off things are right now, even though Ellie is clearly aware. And, but, like, she's also not, like, so sure of it that she's, like, not in really engaging with Joel in any way because, like, th- there's the point where, like, Joel says, oh, I think you and Sarah would have been close. And she agrees. Like, she's like, yeah, I think you're right or something along those lines. But then, like, they have that moment where... You know, she tells Joel all these things and, like, how she felt survivor's guilt. And, you know, that that just feels like Ellie trying to, like, understand the gravity of what this all meant to her. And that I need you to, like, understand that before I ask you if you if something's off. Because, like, she... Like, I don't think she even has, like, a definitive thing that 
makes her wonder if something's off of it. I think just generally the the explanation's a little flaky. It's not like super like you know. I mean, like it it seems like a Joel's, plausible explanation. Huh? Joel's like unnaturally happy for finding out that humanity is doomed. Right. <laughs> right. Like yeah. Like like did this not mean the same thing to you that it did to me? And it, but I don't think that it's like. It, it again comes back to like I, there is an interpretation here that Joel is like this monster and this is all selfish and yeah it is like there it is there is a ter- an element of selfishness to it but I just I feel like I with with wisdom and growing older I just have come to respect both characters' positions more like in that moment just because I think it did take me more of an awareness of what it means. Like, I'm, I'm not a parent. Like, I have like I have a nephew and a niece, but, like, that's not that's not entirely the same. But, like, I know what it is like to have a child in your life that you care about and that you maybe don't say the truth to every time that you have to talk to them about something. And I think it just, like, as I grew up, I just came to see Joel as a more sep- sympathetic figure in this conversation, even though that does not necessarily feel like the intention by... Like, it places you in Ellie's shoes for this section. Like, mm-hmm. you're... You are meant to uh, have empathy for her her stance here, and um, I like that. That's very deliberate, I think, because like if they wanted you to just like have no bones about it, like Joel is totally in the right. I think they would have let you play as him for that last bit. So I think it's just like it's a very complicated scene that I think they have done. Like what made it so profound at the time was that it cut off when it did and did not give you definitive answers about whether characters believed each other or not, or like believed that the other mm-hmm. one believed. And I think that was something that, in 2013, I think was a more interesting note to leave it on, because I think, ultimately, that scene does, regardless of your interpretation, regardless of what sides you take, whatever feelings you have on what's going on, it does ultimately boil down to, is this man going to get away with what he's done? And that is why, I, I think, you know, getting to the section even after, like, having played Part 2, you know, a game that people were so, like, like, they wondered about, like, how it was going to address this ending, and I think a lot of people, for some reason, thought it wouldn't, and that this thing, that this particular moment in uh, this video game was, like, this pristine, crystallized thing that put on a shelf, don't acknowledge it if you're moving forward, like, make a new story, but, um, uh-huh. part two is so deliberate in that this is, like, the basis of not only, like, the story that it's going to tell, but, like, the way it's going to be structured, the way that it's going to, yeah. um, try and instill empathy towards different people's positions by making you live with it for an extended period of time, more so Mm -hmm. than even this game did with like when we switched to Sarah and Ellie. And so, yeah, it's, it's one of the things where like, I, it is very simple to like boil it down to like this, this man committed an atrocity and he was selfish, but it's never that simple. And I think that is what I'm taking away as we're kind of moving forward here because like I, I am very ready to get to part two now just because like the, (laughs) the through lines of these games is stronger than pretty much... Like, AAA games are made by hundreds of people, and they never get the chance to be as coherent as I think The Last of Us is, in terms of themes and, like, understanding that the world is... Like, just because a world is large does not mean that it has more stories to tell or that more stories are where it should go. Absolutely, like that, yeah. That that's, yeah. Yeah, that, like, it has, like, such a strong understanding of, like, how important these two and their position in the world is integral to why people care about this game. And it's it's interesting because, like, the game is, like, part two is going to take place in a different city, but, like, this moment is the basis of all of it. And 
again, like I, I really felt like I, I'm, I'm, I'm kicking myself for how much I think I undersold how much this game is still, still holds up despite like, you know, some of the mechanical stuff may be a little bit off, but I think the themes and like the understanding of itself is kind of unparalleled in the space of like AAA games. Yeah. Yeah. I definitely, um, I tweeted this already, but like I came out of finishing that, this finale segment as being like, yeah, that, that holds up in 2021. It really does. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah. So now I'm just, I'm really excited for us to get into last of us part two, because I mean, we're going to have to deal with all of this ending stuff. Like the idea that naughty dog is going to pick up and move forward from this is super intriguing to me. Cause like, I think even at the time when I first saw this ending like years ago, I was like, Oh, they don't need to make a sequel. Like they're mm. good. They, they did it. And I think that's my big question mark going into last of us part two is like, what is this game going to do? That's going to feel like it, it merits so not just for you. It's I, I am excited. I just, I, you know, I, I am inherently like against the idea of a sequel for sequels sake. I want something to like effectively carry the story forward in an interesting way and to feel like it has some intention behind it beyond just, you know, like let's make another story in this universe. Right. And, um, and I'm interested to see where it goes with that. Obviously I already know some things about the plot setup and what happens in last of us part two, because again, it's impossible to work in games media and not know that, <laughs> but um, it's, it's going to be interesting because mm -hmm. I think I really came around on the last of us part one over the course of playing this game. Um, and I'm interested to see if the last of us part two can overcome similar mental hurdles I have in my mind, mm -hmm. uh, similar preconceptions, but is Vicky, like any closing thoughts you have just on the last of us <laughs> discuss the last of us. I think Ken absolutely nailed it talking about um, kind of that, the impact of that lie and, and, and the fact that, cause it almost, I don't know. I think that probably like the first time I saw that it was just kind of a, Oh, this is just kind of the epilogue. We're just tying at the end of the story. Oh, look, they're, they're back with Tommy, everything great. Mm. And actually, without being too spoilerific, as we've already alluded to, a lot of what happens in the second game is it jumps off from that point. Mm -hmm. So I think, again, it's it's just fantastic storytelling. Um, that such an understated scene that, again, is so beautifully acted and so well done, has such a, a profound impact on, on both of their stories going forward. Um, but but and the other thing I, I know I was talking earlier about you know all, all parents lie to their kids and vice mm. versa I have also been a kid mm -hmm. and lied I was not I was not the best child in the history of the world so um, but I think I think what's interesting to me is is, is that to any kind of relationship whether it's a parental relationship whether it's a friendship whether it's a partnership whatever it is that basis has to be the truth. There mm -hmm. is no relationship if it's built on lies. So although, it, and, and you kind of, the parental role is, is like the one kind of, you're allowed, you're allowed to make, you, you're allowed to make up stories about certain fictional characters that come to your house in December. You're allowed to do mm. things <laughs> like that because that's, <laughs> that's part Wait, of Wait, what? <laughs> oh my God. Sorry and, to anyone who didn't know about Santa Claus. 
Do you know, as I was saying, I was thinking, do we need to give a warning to make sure that no one's listening to if, this? If there is children? a small child already... who's been listening to us podcast about The Last of Us for multiple episodes now, that's the least of my concern. <laughs> do you know, you're absolutely right. Never mind all the F-bombs and everything else we've been dropping. Yeah, so good point, good point, yeah. So, you know, it, it seems to be the relationship where you're you're almost, you can get away with lying. Mm-hmm. But they're small lies or, or they're inconsequential lies or they're lies that you're doing to try and make them feel better. And and I think I think this is there's you almost know, even even without the second game, I think you even know going ahead now that whatever happens to them or whatever their life is from that point or onwards is a lie mm. because he he lied to her and he it was such mm-hmm. a and and she needed the truth and he didn't give it to her so it's fractured their relationship is fractured and i think you know i had no idea how what and i'm obviously not going to go into it now but i had no idea what that impact was going to be taking mm. forward um but it's such oh, it's it's just tremendous it, it like i said you just think it's oh look we're just at the end of the game oh look here they are everything's mm. great she survived. Joel's a hero, and then he tells that lie, and then you realise that the impact of that will will be tremendous. Mm-hmm. And I think, yeah, it's it's it is it's just it's why we keep banging on about it. It's why it's almost ten years, and we're still talking mm-hmm. about it. Mm-hmm. The impact of that game, the impact of the storytelling, the impact of the characters, the dialogue, everything about it has been so well done. Even now even with the advances that we have. I still look, it's a PS3 game, mm-hmm. for Christ's sake. And I look at it mm-hmm. and it still looks unbelievably good. So, um, yeah, I'm excited for you to be playing. I'd love to be playing The Last of Us 2 f- fresh, you know, yeah, without yeah. knowing it. So that would be super cool. Well, folks, we will we will see you in The Last of Us Left Behind, which is actually the next part. We do have to play that before yeah. we get into part two. But, uh, that will be our next episode before we head into part two. As always, we are Normandy FM. We have a Patreon, patreon.com slash Normandy FM, where you can back us. And as of this month moving forward, we will have bonus benefits. So not only does backing at any level get you into the backer Discord where you can hang out and chat with us, but you'll also hear all of our Mass Effect roundtables that we just recently announced. The second they're done being edited, you won't have to wait for the public release, which will be on... Uh, May 24th, May 31st, and June 7th. Instead, you'll get them right away when they're up. Uh, We have an excellent lineup of guests for that covering Mass Effect 1, 2, and 3 because, of course, we are Normandy FM. We do have to talk about (laughs) Mass Effect when we get the chance. Uh, Is this the bit I tell you I've got Mass Effect tattoos? (laughs) Why have we not had you on before? (laughs) Um my first yeah. tattoo was the Paragon, and then my second nice. one was the Renegade, because you can't mm. be a Paragon without being a bit Renegade, right? Mm. Right, mm. right. <laughs> there's there's a little bit of everything. You know, everybody stabs that pilot in Mass Effect 2. That's just how it works. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, so we, we will have those going up, uh, and our Last of Us will continue unabated as well so ken and i will just be grinding ourselves into dust to to cover all this <laughs> there'll probably be a bio bit that we have to do somewhere in there too it'll all be great yeah. uh of course as always if you back at the five dollar tier you will get these episodes as soon as they're done being edited you won't have to wait for the public release and if you back at the higher tier we do shout your name out every week that list today is kevin kulikowski chris johns alice hawk colin just colin just 
The Wedge of Destiny, Mila Hyde, Zach James, and Kevin Hux. Thank you all so much for contributing, helping us keep the lights on and keep things moving over here. Vicky, where can the folks at home follow you and find all your work? That's very kind of you to ask. Uh, I'm a regular contributor over at Eurogamer. That's where most of my reviews go. Um, and I said earlier, I tend to focus on horror and shooters because I have the gaming taste of a 12-year-old boy. So, <laughs> <laughs> so you can find me there. Um, I also write news for Games Radar. I have a weekly gaming column at the NME, which 13-year-old me still would not believe, I don't think. Uh, and otherwise, I'm kind of all over the place. Um, but thanks so much for having me on, guys. This is absolute blast. I've really enjoyed it. It was wonderful having you on. We're so happy we managed to make this work out. We got this Yay. all put together. Um, and I guess that does it here for The Last of Us Part 1. We'll see you next time when we have more Last of Us to talk about here on Normandy FM. Bye. Bye.